Um, the reading's taken from um, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. If you want to follow it in the Bible, it's on page 968. So Matthew, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to, the to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Just before uh, Christmas, I came across this book, which some of you may have seen, by Charlie Mackesy, which is an extraordinary book. It's been on the bestseller lists for uh, weeks now, um, and uh, called Gentle Philosophy in the uh, Times Literary Supplement, or whatever it was. And um, uh, one of the pages I used for a, for a school assembly uh, I showed them the, the, the picture that's going to come up on the screens now. I don't know if you can see it, but I'll, I'll read you what it says. Let's have it if, up if we can. Um, it's one of the pictures that says this. It says, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And in the assembly, I got some of the kids giving answers, you know. Um, want to be a firefighter or want to be a action hero or something, <laughs> or a, a doctor. What, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? And then I showed the bottom of, the, um, of the, the little cartoon in here, which goes like this, if you can put it up. The, the answer to the question is, kind, said the boy. What do you want to be when you grow up? Kind. And then I asked the children again, well, now, now tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was as if, um, through that tiny little illustration, suddenly they were seeing things in a different way. 
because they said, I want to be joyful when I grow up. I want to be thoughtful. I want to be caring. Now, that is the effect of the Sermon on the Mount. It helps us see life through God's eyes. It offers us a completely different perspective on what we see. This is life through kingdom spectacles. And we get so used to seeing things our way, don't we? What do I want to be? What does success look like? In fact, the, the, the page after, after what do you want to be when you grow up? Kind, said the boy, says, what do you think success is? And the answer is to love. We're in a, we're in a success-driven culture, aren't we? We're in a performance-driven world. We're under pressure to, to show that we can. And into that, the Sermon on the Mount, spoken by Jesus, breaks in with, like, like opening the window. And suddenly we have the fresh air of God's kingdom, helping us to see life in a completely different way. You see, we live in a society where we are at the center, where we have to create our lives. And Jesus offers a picture of life where God is at the center and where we find ourselves in God's great plan. It's about love and life. It's about praise. It's about being surprised. It's about discovering new things of God every day. It's about finding that we're called and we have a purpose. It's about letting others pass before ourselves. It's about discovering that our loving Father is at the center of this world and he wants to be at the center of my world, calling me to live his way, calling me to live the Jesus way. So that is what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And we need to be ready for God to shift our perspective. Now the disciples, of course, and we know this well, were, were already on God's way. They'd chosen God's way, hadn't they? Do you remember right from the very start where they, they responded when Jesus said, follow me. And in Mark's gospel, it's very clear that has three different stages to it. First of all, repent, change your direction, then believe, trust in Jesus Christ, and then follow. Go on the way. Repent, believe, and follow. That's also today how we get on the way of Jesus. It's so simple. We change direction. We trust in Jesus and we follow. Now the disciples had done that and I guess in, they had a certain advantage because for them that was actually a physical thing, wasn't it? They were on a physical way, a physical journey. 
When we visited Israel as a family just after um, Christmas, I, 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 I got a new sense of the geography of the Holy Land. You know, the disciples, they were on a way. You know, one day they wake up and they say, okay, 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 Jesus, what's the way today? Where are we going? Are we on the way to Nazareth? Are we on the way to Capernaum? Are we on the way to Jerusalem? And as we read through the pages of the Gospels, we discover that they're on a physical way. You know, they're, they're following Jesus. But as they do so, they discover too that that's of course a metaphor because they're also on a spiritual way, aren't they? A spiritual pathway. And, and for the disciples at times, that's pretty confusing. Do you remember the moment in John's gospel where the disciples are there and Jesus starts talking about his father's house? He says, my father's got a house and I'm going there to prepare some rooms for you. And the disciples are going, what house is he talking about? Has his dad, Joseph, bought a house? Is, is he talking about Capernaum? Is he talking about Nazareth? Or have they invested in a really nice patch of land in Jerusalem? Is he preparing somewhere? What are we going to do? Stay there, eat a meal? What we, and Jesus says, oh. And Thomas speaks up and he says, we don't know what way you're going. How can we know what way? And Jesus turns around and says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me and suddenly they realize he's not talking about a house. He's talking about being with the Father. It's a metaphor. There's a spiritual journey and they suddenly go, oh yeah, that's right. You've been talking about the Father all this time and okay, now we understand. It's like coming home. And what they'd heard, they see in a new light. A little bit like me, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I came in and I realized that on our doors, we have that verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet most of the time I walk through the doors without seeing the verse. And Jesus offers a way, it's not a physical way, it's a spiritual journey to, to discover who God is and who the Father is. Now actually the disciples could resonate with that because the idea of the way is a common theme. It's a common metaphor in scripture. We get it throughout. We have it both as a physical way because the, the Old Testament people are a people of the way, aren't they? Abraham who goes on a journey. Moses who leads the people out of slavery into the, on the way of the sea, through the way of the desert. It's all physical stuff and that's an image of a spiritual journey for the people. So the disciples knew that. They also knew that the way was a way of worship. And we had that in, in, in the psalm, in Psalm 1 that, that Kate read for us at the beginning of the service where it says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or sit in the way that sinners take. And that psalm ends with a sort of contrast between two ways. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Two ways, and that's very common in the Old Testament. Two ways to live. Now, the disciples, therefore, following Jesus, had to learn that the Jesus way was not just a road that they followed, just as today, um, when we turn to Jesus Christ, we, we're not just on the Jesus road. 
not leading to Jerusalem, but leading to heaven, if you like, or the kingdom. It's not just a road. The Jesus way is also the way we travel. We travel the Jesus way. The way Jesus does it. Can you see? We don't just follow the Jesus way. We need to live the Jesus way. And the disciples needed to discover that. And that was what growth meant for them. Listen to Eugene Peterson, great theologian, translator of the Bible, who said this, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid but always formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way he is doing it. To follow Jesus is as much or maybe even more about feet as it is about ears and eyes. So following Jesus affects the way we talk. The way we use our influence. The way we treat each other. The way we raise our children. The way we read. The way we worship. The way we vote. The way we do the gardening. The way we ski. The way we feel. The way we eat. And those sort of various and accumulated ways of doing things make up together our way of life. And we are called to live the Jesus way. Now, we've been following, for those who come regularly to church, the story of Jesus informed by Luke 4. Do you remember? Jesus stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me for he has anointed me to proclaim, announce good news to the poor, freedom to the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release those in darkness, to announce the year of the Lord's favor. That's the Jesus way. But the disciples needed to learn it. And they learned it as they walked alongside him, seeing how he did things. But they also learned it as, as, they, as they listened to him. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew gathers together the, the teaching of Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how Jesus wants his disciples to grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up? like this. The Sermon on the Mount gives a portrait of what it looks like to walk the Jesus way. And friends, it is radically different from what we so often want to be when we think of the world, success, recognition, impact, influence, advancement, and Jesus paints the Jesus way. And it all hits us hard. The Sermon on the Mount is about real life issues. Jesus talks about money, about anger, about sexuality, about how to treat your neighbor, 
about reading the scriptures, about fasting, about prayer. And just like Psalm 1, Jesus offers at the end of his sermon two ways to live. You live the Jesus way or you live the world's way. And the one, the world's way is a broad way, attractive and comfortable. And the Jesus way is a narrow way and it's hard. Or it's like two builders, one who builds the easy way on sand and one who digs foundations and builds on rock. It's hard, but which is the house that stands when the storms come? Which is the way that gives purpose meaning? Which is the way that ultimately serves humanity? and brings about God's purposes. It is the Jesus way. And so Jesus begins. And he begins the same way Psalm 1 begins, with blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we'll see over the next few weeks that the Sermon on the Mount is full of contrasts. In fact, there's hardly a sentence in the sermon that doesn't in some way contrast the Jesus way and the way of the world. But nowhere is the contrast more stark than here. I mean, to the world's mind, these beatitudes, as they're called, feel idealistic. And idealism, let's be honest, is not strong in our culture. We're pretty cynical. I think our culture would be more realistic. I think our culture would, would, would prefer beatitudes like this. Blessed are the rich and powerful, for the world will dance to their tune. Blessed are the strong and aggressive, for their enemies will fear them. Blessed are the arrogant, for they will be admired and talked about. Blessed are those who win the lottery, for they will become overnight heroes. Wouldn't mind that. <laughs> but friends, Jesus paints a very different picture, doesn't he? He's blessing the very things we spend our time trying to avoid. It's unsettling, but actually it's also deeply, deeply attractive. It's like Jesus calls out of us those deep kingdom values that we long to celebrate. We love reading about them in the Gospels. Levi, the man who wants to take, who is changed by Jesus and becomes a man who wants to give. That's a gospel value. That's a kingdom value. Isn't that beautiful? Or Mary and Martha who cry at the tomb of Lazarus, their brother, and discover that Jesus is by their side and Jesus weeps with them. Isn't that beautiful? 
Those are kingdom values that work. Or the thief on the cross. Right at the end of his life, all he deserves is punishment and Jesus looks to him and says, today you'll be with me. That's a beautiful kingdom value. Each person blessed because they're doing it the Jesus way. But actually, the Beatitudes take us further than that. Because they're not just a list of sort of eight different types of people that God wants to bless. Some who mourn, some who hunger and thirst for righteousness, some who are poor in spirit. They're, they're actually to be taken together. And taken together, they're a portrait of a person. Somebody who is poor in spirit, who is meek, who mourns. Somebody who has hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're the portrait of the one person who walked the way of blessing to the end. They're they're a portrait of Jesus. The Beatitudes are a beautiful portrait of Jesus Christ who for our sakes became poor, fragile, burdened, meek, who for our sakes hungered and thirsted for righteousness, who showed mercy, who was pure in heart, who was the ultimate peacemaker, Jesus, the persecuted one, who gave his life to open the way. This is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Do you see that? And those who follow the Jesus way who learn by his side to live the Jesus way, they begin to look like this. Not just blessed once, but blessed eight times. As they learn to be meek, learn to hunger and thirst, learn to be poor in spirit, learn to mourn. Eight times blessed. Now, here's the wonderful thing. These beatitudes seem impossible, unrealistic when taken out of context. And many you know, great thinkers have, have enjoyed them as a sort of utopian vision. But philosophers down the ages have, have been very critical of this, saying it doesn't hold water. But when we see them differently as a picture of Jesus... And an invitation to walk the Jesus way with him and for him, we discover that the kingdom power that they represent begins to rub off on us. And it is an extraordinary thing. We start to taste the promise of the future. All these wonderful, rich, paradoxical, overflowing blessings are actually for us. As we start to walk in our calling, called to be peacemakers, called to be poor in spirit, called to be meek, so we start to taste the promises of the kingdom, comfort as we learn to mourn, inheritance as we learn to be meek, infilling, fulfilling, fill-fulling, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
Mercy as we show mercy. A glimpse of God. As we learn to be pure in heart. The whisper of the Father calling us sons and daughters of the King. As we make peace around us. And topping and tailing it all, the kingdom of heaven, no less, belongs to us as we learn to be poor in spirit and we find we are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, dear friends, this way of living is, is so powerful. It's so attractive. And our passage goes on and talks about how we are salt and light. And we, I believe as a church, want to be a light, don't we? We as individuals want to be a light in this world. We, we, we want to do that. Well, it actually is the fruit of this way. Living the Jesus way is like a, a wonderful, it's like wonderful salty spices bringing flavor to the evening dish. It's like a lamp bringing warmth and light to the home. As we live the Jesus way, our light shines and it draws people to God. The text tells us they start praising and thanking our Father in heaven. Living the Jesus way is, is so powerful. We, we were sent out as ambassadors. But no, matter of, no manner of words will ever have the force of the Jesus way. Living this way is, a, is, a, is, a, is an embodied parable of the kingdom. But according to Jesus, it is possible to hide the lamp. It is possible to trample the spices. Now who in the world would want to do that? Well, actually, according to Jesus, it's rather easy to do so. We do it by neglect or simply by drifting, or we accumulate things, or we settle for comfort, or quite simply we forget who we are. And the world puts us into its mold, and we see things yet again on a purely physical level. Which is why God in his graciousness gives us moments to choose and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there will be moments to choose. He calls us back. So here's the question for today. How do we become poor in spirit? And the answer is not comfortable. We become poor when something is taken away from us. And we become poor in spirit by experience. So the question is, are you willing to walk that way? Allowing God maybe to take some things away. Last Wednesday, we entered the period of Lent. It's a time for giving things up and refocusing on God. Well, perhaps already this morning, he's challenging you to give up more than chocolate or social media. to make space for the Jesus way. 
maybe like me, you've got too comfortable in your Christian life. Perhaps the Lord wants to take something costly away so that you can learn to be poor in spirit, pure in heart, to hunger and thirst for the things of his kingdom. Last Sunday we've said, we sent out over 100 church members to be ambassadors for Jesus wherever he sends them. There may already be some who are rejoicing and we've heard Charlie's great testimony and Ali's as well, but, but perhaps you are discouraged. Um, you tried and it didn't go according to plan. Um, the words didn't come. You missed the opportunity or, or perhaps you said something and, and it was thrown back in your face. Well, actually, there's good news for you today because that sounds to me a little bit like persecution. Sounds a little bit like being poor in spirit. And on the Jesus way, it is only as we take risks to become poor, humble, suffer, to mourn with those who mourn, even to be persecuted, that we begin to see things as they really are, that we begin to see things at their true value, that we realize that if everything else is taken away and we are exposed completely, we still have God. And that's all we need. And it is actually at precisely that moment that we catch a glimpse of him. We hear his voice. We are filled with his love. We receive comfort and we realize that the kingdom of God is here. Not in power, but in weakness. Not in noise, but in quietness and trust. We discover the kingdom of God is here for the poor in spirit. Right now. And we realize that actually we are blessed. On the Jesus way, we are blessed. Whatever happens, we are blessed. In fact, we are eight times blessed. And there is always more blessing to come. Friends, as we set out this Lent time on the Jesus way, let us not forget the blessings. Amen.